0: Welcome to the worst nightmare of all, reality. Explore the
1: lesser-known stories of our unknown world. Join the pursuit
0: of the paranormal with Ash and Greg.
2: Good evening and welcome to... The second birthday celebration special episode of Pursuit of the Panel. Oh, hello, Greg, how are you doing?
1: I am wonderful. I can't believe we've made it to two years. I, mem- me- I remember
2: doing this a year ago and it's like we've done it for a year. how, how how's it been a year? Now it's been two years. And
1: yeah, it's, well, it's getting crazier.
2: <laughs> Three episodes a week, pretty much now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah.
2: hard work, hard work, but it's all it's all fun.
1: It is all fun. And that that's one thing definitely is massive fun. We've never missed a week. I know it's been close to the wire sometimes, but we've always always done it. And when we come off the back of an episode and doing a, a show, it's I just still feel quite wired. I'm just still buzzing from like talking to people and and just learning new stuff that I didn't necessarily know about. So yeah, yeah awesome.
2: It's been awesome. So joining us for our special episode is, he needs some introduction, but I'll give one anyway. So we are joined by Ryan Sprague, who is a regular on Ancient Aliens on the History Channel, Beyond the Unknown on the Travel Channel, also lead investigator and co-host of Mysteries Decoded, author of a number one bestseller, Somewhere in the Skies, A Human Approach to UFO Phenomena. We're on lots of podcasts, TV shows as little talking heads. And also got his own podcast somewhere in the sky. So welcome, Ryan. Thank you very much for joining us for this birthday celebration episode.
0: Thank you, guys. I'm super honored. Uh, you know, two years is no small feat. Trust me. I'm um I'm kind of I'm kind of running parallel to you guys. I'm on, almost up to uh, 300 episodes of my show now. And wow. You had mentioned you never missed a week. That is commendable. I I also have never. Missed a single week, and that's hard to do. We all have our mm-hmm. lives, and um, but it, it just shows how dedicated you are to the pursuit of the paranormal. Did you like that? You like that? Happy birthday! <laughs> happy, happy birthday!
1: And it's very strange for us to have met one of our guests in person before we've done the show together. Normally, I say normally, it was only at the conference UFO conference, the minicon, that um that I met a lot of the people that are like friends of the show and met a good self. Um, so, yeah, it, it's odd that we've we've met the other way around to what we normally do. So nice to see you again.
0: Yes, I know. It, it's so in this world, in this community, uh, you rarely get the opportunity to meet people in person. I mean, that goes for the world in general these days. But uh, it was amazing, you know, for... Any of your listeners who don't know and can't tell by my accent, I am from the United States. And uh, I recently moved to the UK and it was a big, big life change. And um, I will say that you guys made it very easy for me. Uh, Within weeks of moving to the UK, I came over to Manchester, came to the Minicon, and I I can't even express to you how... uh, of how much of a warm welcoming that was into um, into the world of UFOs in the United Kingdom, a place I haven't really explored in this topic that much, but now it seems that that's all I do now on Somewhere in the skies. So um, I have you guys to thank for that, truly. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah, it was an
2: honor to have you on. I'm sure we'll get on to some of the sort of the UK side of it uh, shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wanted to... What was I going to do?
1: Greg, you fucked me up now <laughs> you can edit this one
2: <laughs> and as it's our uh, birthday episode it's a bit of a celebratory episode so we've got a couple of drinks on the go I think it's the first time I've actually been drinking while recording so Ooh, it, goes bit, it, it goes a bit it goes a bit topsy turvy then that's blame us for can we get, that. I'll get a screenshot
1: of that <laughs> We...
0: What, what yours, gentlemen? What are you on there, Ryan? Uh Guinness. I am. I am as simple as it comes. I am a stout guy. Uh, I was just introduced to Bellhaven as well here in Scotland. Which, oh my God, delicious! Where has it been all my life? So, <laughs> I knew. I knew I had to bring something, some sort of spirit to the table tonight. So uh, I'm going with just a classic Guinness.
1: <laughs> awesome. oh, nice one. What have you got, Ash? I,
2: so I got this wine. So. I saw it on the camera there.
1: Chateau Neuf de Pape. Close, <laughs> Close Encounters. Close so
2: Encounters. That is so cool. this is from Family Perry, which I think is quite a high brand. I don't know. It was very expensive. Well, it was £18. I don't think that seems expensive. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the UFO on the label. I was like, it's called Close Encounters. So, I thought I've got to buy this one. I don't even drink wine. So, I'm not even opening it because yeah. so, <laughs> I don't. That is a open collectible. UFO wine. Yep. And the story behind it, reading the back, is actually from an odd 1954 bylaw in the chantoff du Pape vineyards region in France, where the mayor at the time brought <laughs> in this law that prohibits UFOs from landing in the vineyards. <laughs> so, it was an actual law that stopped UFOs from oh, okay. landing.
1: How
2: do you enforce that law? <laughs> I mean, the point has have been broken, so it might be a good law. I don't know, but yeah, an actual law that prohibits UFOs from landing in France. So I like, love yeah, that. It reminds me, law.
0: there's a classic case that Jacques Vallée investigated in France, I believe where a UFO landed in a lavender field, you know, little creatures came out, started talking to the, the guy that worked in the fields and, uh, had a conversation, zapped him with a ray gun, got back in their uh, their little ship and went away. So maybe they need to make that law enforced in lavender fields too. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. <laughs> maybe the whole of France. <laughs> yeah.
2: First <laughs> well, of I've got to sort of mention that wine because I've had it for about a couple of years now, but obviously I don't drink wine. It's expensive. but It's a little ornament now rather than anything. But yeah, UFO wine. i got to love it. But I am actually drinking uh, Blue Wicked's. Classic. Um, <laughs> alcohol pops for anyone outside of the UK who might not have heard of it it's like vodka based fruity
1: flavored drink Whoa. Yum. yeah okay <clears throat> I used to drink that in the 90s
0: <laughs> yes it's for any of your US listeners I from the looks of it I would compare it to what we we call a wine cooler in the US or a fuzzy navel <laughs> they call it <laughs> A fuzzy uh, navel. A fuzzy navel. Don't ask me where that name came from <laughs> or why, but um, yeah, yeah. We we won't even go there, but that's what it reminds me of when I was like, <laughs> like 18, 17 years old and uh, trying to sneak them into the house without the parents seeing them.
2: <laughs> I suppose in the US, yeah, you've got to be 21, haven't you, to leave. Mm-hmm. leave. Yeah, 18 over so I think were like, I probably at 14 when I started drinking yeah, right 40,
0: yeah yeah i can't even imagine where america would be if that was the drinking age but uh, <laughs> that's not saying much anyways for the states <laughs> but yeah <laughs> all right anyway
2: we digress a little bit <laughs> so yeah welcome ryan um thank you you've done a little intro you're from the U- u.s currently now in scotland so trying to give us a bit of background obviously we more paranormal based on that about- some of our listeners might not have heard of you, the more UFO side. So how did you get into the whole UFO subject? What's your what's your origin story?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, my Peter Parker moment, I always tell people. <laughs> um, I, I had a sighting, like many people who get interested in these topics, whether it's paranormal or cryptids or, or UFOs. Uh, I had a UFO sighting. This was in um, central New York. It was 1995 and uh my parents and i would often go on these summer getaways to uh this this river in central new york called the saint lawrence river and it was pretty cool it was right on the border of new york state and right on the other side of the river was canada and um you literally could look across and see canadian flags um so it was it was as close to canada as you could get and um I loved fishing so I would fish all day long when we were on these getaways and I would be listening to music on my Discman uh mind you again this is 1995 so I had my portable CD player uh I was listening to Green Day one of my favorite bands back then Uh-oh I got sorry okay. about Oh my god I love it man He's got an American that idiot is. That's from the American Idiot album I love it Ash Uh it changed my life that but... Have you seen my photo when I was Billy Joe Armstrong for yes, Christmas? I have yeah. no, That's
2: amazing.
0: <laughs> I did, I've done that for a couple years now. Um, huge Green Day fan, still am. Uh, but yeah, they actually were a part of my UFO sighting. Uh, they were the soundtrack as I was witnessing uh, this triangular UFO above me. Um, I saw what people describe as a black triangle uh, above me. It was a formation of lights. I didn't see like an actual machine like a craft, but I saw a perfect equilateral triangle of lights, uh, red light in the middle, completely silent. And it was just hovering above me. And um, I actually yelled for my father to come see this with me. He was inside our motel, which was right off of a, a wharf uh, at this, at this motel we were staying at. So he runs out. He thinks like I fell into the water, into the river or something. Uh, but when he comes out, he looks directly up at where I'm looking And we both watched this black triangle just hover silently over the water, head over the river towards Canada and disappear out of sight. So he um, saw it as well. He did see it. Yeah. He, he saw this with me. I distinctly remember looking at him, looking up at him and, uh, seeing the look on his face and that will stick with me forever. He turned as pale as white as a ghost. Um, you could tell he was searching for words to give me about what we were looking at and he couldn't. And again, like you're, you're, I'm looking to my parent to explain this unconventional thing in the sky to me. I knew it wasn't a plane. I knew it wasn't a helicopter, maybe a blimp. Like who's to really say, uh, but we both just stared dumbfounded at this thing as it went over to Canada and became their problem. Um, but yeah, that changed my life. I, uh, it terrified me and I kind of had nightmares for years after that about the triangle. Um, and I started to become obsessed with UFOs. Um, I saw them everywhere, like in my nightmares, in my dreams, on TV, in books. And, uh, I kind of turned that terror into, uh, an interest. And a year later after my sighting is when I interviewed my first ever UFO witness when I was 13 years old. And, uh, That's when I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a quote-unquote UFO researcher, investigator, and I wanted to just get out there and listen to people's stories. And, God, I've been doing it for almost 25-odd years at this point now. So, um, And I love every second of it. I'm not going to lie. So, yeah, that was kind of what got me interested in all of this.
1: I mean, how do you start to even begin to process something like that? Because I... I've like Ash has seen at his sight in. Mm-hmm. you're talking about this silent craft. How does your brain start to process this, this thing in the sky that anytime you see a craft or uh, some bolts object in the sky, it's normally making a sound, and everybody says that it's completely silent, there's no sound at all. That's got to be one of the weirdest things as well, because your brain's trying to can see this thing in the sky, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which you know should be making a sound, and it doesn't. Apart from the fact that there's this weird thing in the sky, is that something that your brain's kind of going, "This isn't rational." Just the fact that we don't have the sound, because that's got to be a big head screw. Yeah.
0: I, yeah. And for me, you know, a lot of people, when they describe their UFO sightings to me, they're always telling me it was this high up or the craft seemed to be this big. And like, those are things I don't remember about my sighting at all. Um, again, I, I don't remember seeing a solid craft, but um, it could have been. But the things I do remember were the silence um, only because all I could hear at the time was the water hitting the dock. Uh, where I was and also I could still hear I had ripped my headphones off at that point and I could still hear Green Day's basket case song playing in my headphones because I used to blast it super loud um, which is probably why I'm deaf now (laughs) at age blah 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 Uh, but um, I do remember it being completely silent Um, I do remember what I was feeling at the time uh, but I don't remember that much about the craft itself but there is, Greg, there's like a, a disconnect, I think. When you're looking at something you've never seen before, uh, your brain is trying to make sense. It's trying to compare it to everything you do know. And again, I, you know, I was only 12 at the time. So, like, I didn't know that much about what it could or couldn't be. I just knew it wasn't normal. Like, it should have been making some sort of noise. It was so low and big that I'm like, this doesn't seem right. Like, is this thing going to land in the water? Should we run like hell and get out of here? I don't know. Um, I think my brain was trying to process a lot in that moment. And there was a lot of disconnect too. Uh, you, You feel, Ash, I don't know if you can relate when you had a sighting, but you almost feel outside of your own body in those moments. Like you're kind of watching the scenario play out. And that's kind of how I felt. I felt like I was watching a movie of myself and my father seeing this thing. And I I can't explain why, uh, but that's whatever this phenomenon was, what it was doing to me in that moment, at least from what I recall, you know, memory is a fickle, fickle thing. So um, all we can do with memories is try to piece it together. And I remember how I felt more than anything. And I felt terrified. I felt in awe. I felt confused. Um, I felt excited and it was, it was crazy. It was like going through every emotion in the handbook all at once. So is, okay. is that why, cause when you approach your work, like the title
2: of your book, it's the human side of UFO phenomenon, so you're looking at the stories and the people behind the sightings rather than the sightings themselves. So sort of your experience built into that approach to your, to the subject.
0: Absolutely. You know, when I first knew that I wanted to be a UFO researcher and and write a book about it, uh, I knew that I had to do something different. You know, there's been so many books written about uh, UFO sightings and um, investigations into them. And uh, I'm not a MUFON investigator. I, I'm not someone who goes out and looks for trace evidence or or, you know, is out there sky watching every single night. I'm the guy who, if you have a story, you can tell it to me and I will take it down. I will preserve it so that it's there and that it can then add to the data of those who do go out and investigate. You know, if there was a mass UFO sighting in uh whatever, Inverness, and, you know, 200 people saw it. Great! I want to go out there and I want to interview every single one of those people and hear their stories, mm. and um and hear what they think it was, not what a investigator thought it was. Because at the end of the day, I, I honestly feel that this stuff has more to do with us as humans than it does about whatever the actual phenomena are. And um and I should mention too, the reason I took that human approach was also because of my other passions in life. And that's, uh, I'm a playwright. I spent 12 odd years in New York city being a professional playwright and um, went to school for it, trained. And uh, I love theater. I love uh, characters. And when I really decided to get involved in UFOs, that's when I was like, what can I take from my playwriting training and infuse into my own ufology? And that was focusing on people, you know, these characters when you create them, you, you're you trying to ultimately uh, discover what makes them tick, what motivates them. Um, if you ever see a play or watch a movie, you're watching one of the most pivotal moments in someone's life. Otherwise, we wouldn't be dropped into their lives to watch this play out. I don't want to see someone making dinner every night. I don't want to see someone going to their nine-to-five job. I want to see that moment that changed them in some way and changed the entire direction of their life. And often... Uh, that's what a UFO sighting does to a person. So I kind of took that into my interviews and said, okay, um, who were you before the sighting and who were you after? And uh, that's kind of how the book came to be. I kind of treated these individuals as uh, characters, in a sense, um, and and ultimately how these events changed their lives or their beliefs. I mean, God, after seeing what I saw, it shifted everything i thought i knew about reality about the universe about life elsewhere um and what i was taught to believe as well so yes i think change is the biggest word that comes up in the work that i do um and that's kind of why i took that human approach ash
1: and i think watching your talk at the minicon i found because you watch programs all the time you read books and they're all like a similar kind of thing. You, you look at the case, you look at the history of the case, and it was refreshing to see your side of it, where, like Ash said, that you and you did, that you take that, that person on, the impact it's had on that person, and everybody was in that main room when you were speaking. It was that everybody, all the guys from the stands, we were all in there, waiting to watch you. And I think it had a profound impact on everybody else to actually look at it from a, a, like a, from a normal person's perspective, <laughs> rather than, oh, this person saw a UFO. They'll always be known as the person that saw the UFO. You'll always be X person, at X case.
0: right?
1: But it was nice to see, okay, this person's life changed as a result, like yours did as well. Your life changed profoundly and your life just went, oh, we've gone that way now. Um, I think that's that was a defining moment of that day, which was an amazing day. Even Ash talking in front of people was great. Because I know you super nervous. <laughs> but everybody, <laughs> you know, you everybody building, up, <laughs> building up to your your talk and listening to it because I've listened to your podcast, which I think is great. I was listening to one a little bit earlier as well with John Greenwald. Um, yeah. and to to hear that side of it was great. And we had a weird moment, just to slightly digress, that I I was at Ash's house. I stayed the night before at Ash's because um, I'm I live down by Oxford, and I looked down at this these books in his carport box. I was like, what's that? He goes, that's Ryan's book. I was like, what? You're joking. He goes, yeah, yeah. And so I pulled out my MacBook and the skin I've got for my MacBook is the exact same skin or the the same image that you've got in your book. <laughs> I was just like, what are the, what are the chances? That was that? crazy. Yeah. And I was just like, so, I was even more connected to you, Ryan. Yeah, I'm man. like well, your biggest fan without <laughs> even knowing
0: it. <laughs> without even knowing, well, I appreciate that, man. And when you showed me at the conference, yeah. it blew my mind too. I was just like, yeah. like how synchronistic. And yeah. there, I do believe, you know, you can leave things up to chance, but I also believe that there is something that connects all of us in some way and this that was my first time ever meeting you and those were kind of the first words you told me you're like dude look at the skin of my macbook and that's that's how we met that's how we connected that's why we're here talking today and those are the moments mad, that like just stick out to me like would I ever have met you would I ever have met ash or any of the other speakers or or attendees at the conference Had it not been for this UFO topic, this mystery uh, that has endured for, I mean, not just since Roswell or the 40s, but since the beginning of time. Um, So, yeah, I I love I love that story that you told about that. And um, and I don't I don't think it's completely just a coincidence. I think it was meant to be. And um, and I'm gonna charge you for using that image. By the way. no, I'm oh, just okay. kidding. I don't. <laughs> I don't gotta know find that me. image.
1: You've got to find me. I'm miles away from Scotland. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> I know. I don't drive either, so it'll take me a, while <laughs> a to find
1: folk. you.
2: <laughs> no. i've still got like 20 copies of ryan's book in my house so. i was
0: just gonna say ash happy birthday here's 20 book 20 <laughs> copies of my book that you can have now let's have a ryan's black bookcase just oh god that's a <laughs> whole other a story
1: you can't see the shrine he's got to you in front of his screen <laughs> he's looking at you but no seriously that, at the minicon that that talk about the personal side of it was a different sort of take on the subject that Cause I'm, I'm more of a paranormal person out of the two of me and Ash. Mm -hmm. So I, I see like all the UFO programs on TV and all the normal ones. Um, so yeah, it was good to see that, that different approach to it. And it it was very engaging and everybody got a lot out of it that day. So yeah, that was cool.
0: That was really cool. And, and to the credit of you guys, uh, there was such a wide variety of of approaches at the con. And that's what I love about these things. Like You you have all different people attacking ufology from different perspectives. And again, this is my approach. Uh, This is what I thought I could bring to ufology, was a very human touch um, and use the skills that I've learned in life and apply them to this topic. Whereas someone with a very technical background might become a field investigator. Um, someone with a religious background might become a paranormal investigator or um, someone who goes to, quote unquote, like cleanse a house or or use their psychic abilities in some way. Um, this is what I thought I could contribute to the topic. Um, and the other big thing, too, is, you know, this modern ufology we're living in where it's all military. You know, we're only hearing about UFOs in the military. So I wanted to show that those two are human beings who are also having profound experiences, and you'll you'll you saw at the end of my talk, I interviewed one of the guys who was a part of the uh, Tic Tac UFO event, this famous case. Now, um, whereas a lot of people might put them up as like you know the be all end all of witnesses, trained observers in the military, uh, this affected this one guy just as much as it would if he wasn't in the military Mm. i kind of wanted to demystify this idea that like military ufo sightings are any more important than the everyday person uh none of us know what they are none of we're all still trying to figure it out and it changes us in many different ways even these men and women in service too so thank you thank you i appreciate that i
2: want to come back to something you said then but before that i just wanted to mention because it's was it yesterday or the day before? The US sort of unveiled their new stealth fighter. Yes, the B twenty one Raider. B twenty one Raider, and that I mean it looks. If you've not seen it? Go and just Google new stealth fighter B twenty one Raider. It looks. I mean, it looks like a. It looks like a typical what people would say describe when they see some a UFO or a, some people say a spacecraft rather than like a UFO. Mm-hmm. it's not that typical shape and you can see why if they've been testing this or similar aircraft to this easily explain a lot of sightings just on the shape of this new plane. It's mad. It's absolutely mad. Yeah.
0: It, you know, and it was, I watched that whole unveiling. It's so weird. You know, it's like they were unveiling the next Lamborghini or something, but they're unveiling literally a machine built to like murder, thousands and thousands of people um which is just, just so odd the way patriotism works um in the US and everywhere let's be completely honest but yeah it was nonetheless it was exciting to like see this sixth generation aircraft and be like huh you know if this is what they're unveiling now and we always hear that that thing of like everything we're seeing in our skies like stealth bombers that were big in like the nineties and whatnot. Uh, they had been testing them for like 20 something years before that. So you do have to wonder this new B 21 Raider unveiled, how far ahead are we actually of even that at this point that the public doesn't know about. And that is the crazy murky territory of UFOs when it comes to, uh, are we dealing with men or woman made aircraft or are we dealing with something from another planet? Uh, the answer is probably somewhere in
2: between. Yeah. Cause like, like I say, triangle sightings go back decades and they've always been like a staple mm-hmm. of course. Like we collect like, for, the, for our database, UK sightings and triangle descriptions are always up there. Like my own, like yours, my own sighting in 1997 was a black triangle. Uh,
1: there you go. Yep. Shape
2: and the thing Was that the style, but the, like, was it the B52 whatever it was back then? Yep. That got unveiled. So it's like, is, is that what I saw? I say, we'll never know. Yeah, we'll um, never know. I like if ever saw something like this in the sky, that could be what people bought in this year. It's like, in one day last year, there was five sightings in one day in the UK, <laughs> all from different cities, like, hundreds of miles apart, of the same, possibly the same craft. You sort of, like, travel like a line down the country, at like these five sightings. Wow. Um, that could have been some sort of military testing. You're all seeing a similar thing, different different cities. It's so really, really... My buddy would explain... Um, a lot. Of the point to briefly mention just because, like, say it's it's a killing machine. It's it's a hard one. It's not something that should lord because, like I say, say, I mean should we should be stopping the war and not fighting them. But whatever.
0: <laughs> um, I know it's such a country. it's a hot topic. Yeah. Um, and you know we find ourselves in the UFO world, caught in that right now. I think because here or excuse me, not here. I I, I forget that I live in the UK now. In the United States you know, they're opening a new office within our Department of Defense to investigate UFOs. And, you know, you've got all these former intelligence officials talking about the topic and and getting involved. And you can't tell me that a lot of it has to do with um, national security. And is this a topic we can use to further uh, the military industrial complex? And probably a large portion of it is that I, 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 I personally believe it is, uh, but there's always that small percent where, uh, where it probably is also something else. It's not Russia. It's not China. It's not the U S it's something that none of us are even, even close to, uh, being capable of doing. So, um, it's weird. It's weird that we live in an age of like, you know, we've got these wars happening and technology increasing at a rapid pace. And then boom, UFOs are bigger than they ever were before. And of course, it's going to happen now where like you can't tell up from down, left from right anymore. So I don't know, exciting times we're living in um, and also very, very uncertain times in many respects. Yeah, for sure, but it's also good to say
2: it's a little. I think, like, especially the last couple of years, it's a little bit. It's some justification for the work that we're doing because we can we can now say, look, like, this isn't some fringe topic, tinfoil hat people. This is like the U.S. government are taking this seriously. They're saying they came out and say, yeah, you real real, these things in the airspace. We don't know what they are. It's like a little bit of justification thing for people like you and me and the many others that. Are, put the lifetime into researching this. It's for them to say, like, obviously, we, we know it's true. They know it's true. But say to other people, just look at this. Like, don't listen to me. Listen to them. NASA doing the UFO study. Yes, government putting millions of pounds right. into it. This isn't, like I say, not a fringe thing. So is, on that side of it, it's, I think it is good for us that that is happening now.
0: Absolutely. You know, I, I had so many friends or I should say like former friends reach out to me when that New York times article broke in 2017 and be like, Oh my God, Ryan, you were right. (laughs) You're not crazy. Like this is legitimate. This is real. So it was a, it was a great moment. I think for everyone interested in UFOs to finally be like, I told you so. Like, are we any closer to answers? Probably not. Uh, But we're having those conversations and it's not, being ridiculed. It's not uh they're not playing the X-Files music on every news segment after someone says I saw a flying saucer. Uh mainstream media is taking the topic seriously. And I think we really have to take advantage of that. That could change at any moment. I think right now uh we're seeing kind of the um the media backtracking and trying to downplay the topic again. And you have to wonder why? Why is that happening? You know, we are supposed to get a new UFO report and it was supposed to come out on Halloween, actually, uh, from the Department of Defense in the U.S. Didn't come out. It's about a month late right now. Uh, But what happens right before this report was supposed to come out, the New York Times comes out with an article saying most 99.9% of UFOs are drones or space trash. Like, don't, there's nothing to this, guys. And I guarantee you that article didn't come out by happenstance right when a ufo report was supposed to come out this is planned everything is planned um i'm not a huge conspiracy nut but it's very clear that the topic got away from them i think that 2017 article really took uh the pentagon uh by surprise and they had a lot of explaining to do and i think right now we're trying to see them kind of put the um you know with the genie back in the bottle but it's not going to happen it's just simply not going to happen
1: definitely i think um like i said because i'm not the the ufo guy out of the two of us me and ash that that article and we've discussed it many times me and ash um that that kind that's kind of become like the defining moment in modern uf- ufology and we talked about the fact that they, they sort of starting to class that 2004 was the beginning of everything. And if they mm-hmm. admit to knowing stuff about UFOs, they've been lying to everybody for the last 50, 60, 70 years. So the the fact that they're trying to backtrack now, I can see why. Because obviously, I think the fact that they're almost saying, we don't know what these things are in the sky. We don't know who they are. We don't know what they want. That's quite frightening when that goes out to the public. And whilst the congressional hearings was great and it, it put up more legitimacy on everything, do you think at that point they realised it was too hyped up, like publicly hyped up, that they are having to backtrack a little bit because, like you say, it's it's getting away from them a little bit and it's it's getting to the point where they're gonna to have to admit that they don't know what is penetrating the skies above the world with impunity, because these things just drop out of the sky, go to random points that nobody knows about except the pilots. So for the tic tac goes straight to his rendezvous point in the sky. Right. Goes underwater. And that was that's the other thing. The underwater thing. I was listening to your interview with John Greenwald today from the blackvault.com somebody that when I first started getting into ufology and everything about 20 years ago, um, I used to go on abovetopsecret.com and the other website at the time was blackvault.com. So I've kind of grown up with John Greenwald. So to see him now as an adult, he was quite young when I started. <laughs> he was like my age. So, yeah. So that's quite weird in itself. But he was talking specifically about something which took my interest as well, which was talking about underwater monitoring. Mm-hmm. And he said he didn't specifically highlight that when he put out his, um, his, like his articles and his YouTube, but he said there was one thing that he was waiting for people to catch on to. Now, underwater and transmedium is something that's been coming up the last year do you think underwater is where we're going to be getting most of our answers? And that's to you as well, Ash, actually.
0: Yeah. um, I'd love to hear what Ash has to say, Uh, but I'll, I'll hop in briefly with that. I think, yes, yes. I I do believe that our waters hold a lot of answers, Uh, not only to the UFO mystery, but to life in general. There's so much under our oceans that we still have yet to discover Um, You know, so many people use that, that whole um, analogy of like, we should be looking on our own planet before going out and looking into space. And I do believe that to a degree, I I think, where would be better to hide something than in the depths of our oceans? Or, or have those things been there? uh, Since the dawn of time? Um, When you are seeing... A alarming amount of UFO reports coming from coming in or out of bodies of water. Uh, It's staggering. I mean, my own sighting took place over a river. Uh, The Nimitz event, obviously, a lot of these Navy UFO encounters happen over water. Uh, I went back into both editions of my book uh, after really looking into this whole body of water thing, and I was astounded at how many cases involved water in some way that I didn't really think about when I was writing my books. So uh, I do believe there, the, that our oceans, our, our rivers, our lakes have something to do with these UFOs or the intelligences behind them. Is it a resource they need? Possibly. Uh, is this where they literally are coming from? Uh, possibly. Um, It's fascinating. Uh, And I, you know, I'm excited to see the future work being done by people like uh, Dr. Avi Lope, the theoretical physicist who is literally works for Harvard and they're helping to fund these crazy expeditions that he's doing, uh, where I believe it was something of extraterrestrial or possibly interstellar origin crashed into the water And he wants to go find this thing and study it. Um, It's escaping me where exactly it was. I want to say out in like Australia. Yeah,
2: I think it was Australia.
0: Okay. Yeah, that that sounds about right. Everything weird happens out in Australia. (laughs) Um, So I can't wait to see the results of whatever that is. And then you have this other group made up of a lot of the Nimitz guys who after they saw this UFO come in and out of the water or whatever, now are going out to investigate the exact area where they had their original sighting and there's phenomenon still happening there. So yeah, I, I, I'd love to hear what you think, Ash, because I do believe there's something to it. I do.
2: I think the way I kind of look at it is as far as our sort of scientific understanding of life is that all life comes from water. And we all need water to survive. And when you think of like when scientists or astronomers look at our solar system, they think that you open. Uh, Jupiter's moon is probably the most likely place that could have that tea or life, whatever, because that's a nice ice moon that's got running water, blah, 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 or well, they believe it's got running water. So if, if we follow that sort of trend and that life comes from water, then if we just extend that to other species, then, yeah, they're going to come from water. Either they live there, somehow, like you think, like say, Jar Jar Binks, on <laughs> un- under... Under, of under all Ocean the things sitting. you
1: could have chosen <laughs> and you've gone Jar Jar Binks. Probably the I most knew, Star Wars character.
2: I knew so we so could think work it think in of somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I would like Jar Jar Binks as well. You got, you got a lot of hate. That wasn't fair. That was, uh,
0: <laughs> I know, I know.
2: <laughs> justified.
1: Good but point, though.
2: Like you say, point. your sighting was over water. I think Jason Gillamay from yep. the UFP Studies, his sighting was something that came out of the water. Mm-hmm. And it again, was. a lot of famous cases. And when we do our database... Now I look at all the sightings in the UK, there's lots where you see the lights go in the water, come out the water. In the northeast, in well around yeah, uh, Flamborough Head and uh, Billington and Hull, you've got a lot of sightings up there where it's over the North Sea. A lot of sightings, a lot of orb sightings over the North Sea. Yeah. So it is, there is definitely that correlation. And if that is where life comes from, that could be why. They even need the water, like you say, or they live in the water and that's where they're coming from. because. Life as we know, it needs water to survive. So why wouldn't it be any different? So I think it's definitely, yes, obviously we'd like to look to the skies, like to look to the stars,
1: but maybe we should be looking at the water. Maybe that is the future. Yeah. Interestingly, just while we've been talking, the tic-tac shape, that if you look at the way we do the submersible vehicles, because of the way the water pressure uh, and the atmospheric pressure gets so high it's like 10 meters down and you're like twice as twice the atmosphere or something these submersibles that go down and see the titanic and everything they are little capsules that look like tic tacs right they are like these weird oblong shapes to handle the pressure so i wonder just throwing it out there whether or not that tic-tac shape is because it goes down so deep, and that is the most efficient way of managing atmospheric pressure at at depths of water.
0: Just a thought. Yeah, or space. Like we're hearing that these things, like you mentioned, the word transmedium is huge right now in the UFO world, and it is literally a word they used within the Pentagon-run UFO program. When we look at these five observables, as they call them, uh, transmedium being one of them, being able to go from water to air to space, which no country or, or uh, you know, yeah, no no region of the world has yet to really uh, truly perfect, to our knowledge. Um, you know, the U.S. always thinks they're, you know, ahead of everyone when it comes to all of that. But honestly, like, I think China is the place we should be looking and they are our biggest technological threat right now in the in the world. Um, and when even they are saying no, <laughs> like we're not there yet, and even admitting that, um, whether or not you believe any country who says like we're not there yet, that's you know up for that's that's a whole other conversation. But um, it does really, really speak to I think this idea that these craft are going from water to air to space. With no problem and no, uh, like you said, with impunity. I mean, it's crazy. They don't care about being in these training ranges of military exercises. They don't care if you're from Russia or China or the United States or, you know, somewhere in the Middle East. Borders mean nothing to these UFOs. They go where they want. They do what they want. And I think that's the most alarming thing about them. Um, And it's no wonder that the military wants to know what they are because their number one job is to protect their borders. And that's simply not happening when these UFO cases are occurring. So. But do you think,
1: yeah, because the other puzzling bit for me is that if these, whatever they are, um, entities, probes, drones of, extraterrestrial origin if they meant us harm why haven't they done it now why are they we've got these weapons and i know they go across nuclear bases and they they can interfere with the the switches and turn the systems off but there's no there doesn't appear to be any aggression it's more defending us from ourselves rather than Aggressive because I think if they were aggressive, you've got Independence Day type action going on that they just fly around and just kill us all within moments. And it can't be Russian or would definitely can't be Russian technology because if that was Russian, he'd be using it in Ukraine without (laughs) a shadow of a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt, we're just lucky he hasn't pressed the nuclear button yet. But I think if he had that technology, we would be speaking russian right now i think he would have (laughs) taken over the world and to a certain point i think china would be the same as well because they're very power hungry and like you said they're they're a massive military might in the world and if any country in the world has this technology they would be using it for their own gain. i can't see that any country would be using it to just watch people and that's what these objects these entities seem to be doing is just appearing where our jets are, where training exercises are taking place, and watching. They're just observing us and then shooting off, coming back for days, weeks at a time around the Nimitz. That was over the course of a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. So it it just seems to me like whilst we need to defend our skies, A, we can't defend against that for definite, and B, they clearly don't mean us any harm. So I don't know what the purpose of them being here is. And it's definitely not what we think it is. And I say we, governments, that kind of thing. So do the the governments know for a fact that these things mean us no harm? Or is it just, like you said, it's a good way to funnel money into defence? I I just wonder what your thoughts might be on it.
0: I think, like most uh businesses which you know the government ostensibly is in so many respects uh they will take advantage of a situation and right now we have a situation where we have absolutely no idea what ufos are or aren't and i don't think any government knows what they are either including the united states uh there may have been crash retrievals there may be alien bodies there may be a lot of things that there is some reality to. Uh, But at the end of the day, I don't believe that any government truly knows what UFOs are because they could be a million different things. You know, I don't, I'm not one to believe that they're strictly extraterrestrial or, you know, dimensional or, or, or even man-made. I think there's a million different reasons for every, they're, they're like snowflakes. (laughs) Every UFO is unique. It truly is. So, so, A, I don't believe that UFOs are here to harm us. I mean, just throughout the history of UFO reports and uh, cases, um, you do never see a clear intent to harm, uh, at least physically. When you're talking abductions or encounters, uh, there is trauma involved, and there's some deeply evasive and traumatic things that occur to individuals. I can't deny that. Like that, that's, that's an argument to be had. Uh, however, you don't see UFOs killing people. You don't see them, uh, blowing up our nuclear installations, turn them on, turn them off. That's a whole other story. And that almost says more than actually doing something. Um, so what I'd see is at least in the United States, and this could go for the five eyes as well, whether it's the UK, Australia, um, other European nations, I think we're seeing them take advantage of a mystery, a mystery that is endured, a mystery that will continue to endure. And um, I don't think we will ever truly know. I honestly don't what UFOs are. And I'm, I've i made peace with that as a UFO researcher. Um, people kind of get pissed when I say that, but I, I honestly think uh, this is a mystery that is going to be with us forever. For all of life, whatever that term might mean. And um, I think right now what we're seeing is that at least the United States government really taking advantage of these things in our skies and using it as a way to um, either flex <laughs> on our rival nations and be like, yeah, we don't know what they are, but we do. They're ours. They're the U.S.'s. So, you know, stand down, stand down. I don't think they're the U.S.'s. Maybe some of them. But um, end of the day I don't think any government knows what they are uh, but they can control the narrative that they put out there to the public they can control the information and that's where it gets that's where conspiracy starts when when we don't have answers when our governments aren't being transparent with us about what they know or don't know that's when we start making stuff up and that's where it gets really dangerous and we're living in a world now of misinformation and and uh, and every country not custom, trusting their own governments so they're gonna make their own truth and uh again another can't put the genie back in the lamp situation uh it's a little scary so I don't know I, I know I'm kind of going all over the place with that but I don't believe we have any freaking clue what UFOs are and um I think that's troubling you know for so long the US government just denied that UFOs existed. And now they're admitting they're real. And it's it's crazy. It's crazy that we went from such a denial to, yes, we know they're here. We know they exist. Um, but we don't know what they are. That's a big step, I think, for the US government to actually say that. Um, but that doesn't mean they're not going to take advantage of the situation.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's a big step. And again, it comes back to... I mean, they've been lying for seventy years. So yeah, are we suddenly just gonna just believe now? Believe that this is what they're saying is true, right? Think like? I mean, so. we are we suddenly gonna turn cold and just? <laughs> we know they've been lying for seventy years, but now they're telling the truth. All of a sudden, so we're just gonna believe that off the cuff. It's a difficult. It's a difficult one. It's. I mean, like right. I say, who who knows? And it's think with the topic. I think we'll never know, like you said. And but the journey is the fun of it for, for oh, me. It's these exactly. conversations. It's the learning. and no, that, that, that's what it's about.
1: If them, you did find out the truth, <laughs> if you did find out the truth and you knew in your head that somebody from the government or whatever said to that, Brian, off the record, you can't tell anybody this, this is what it is. Would you just go, it'd be like the end of a series that you've loved for years and you go, oh, is that it? Yeah. And it turns out to be our technology and you go, oh, fuck. <laughs> I've just spent my whole life, and I've just found out they were just playing us all along. Right. I think the the mystery of it, it's very much like Mulder in the X Files. It's always just that little bit away from him, and we're always playing catch up. And we're never as a UFO community. that there, there's nobody that's ever got the full picture. Everybody's got a little bit extra than the next person, and they feed that into the the narrative of where we are, and nobody has. It's very siloed, and like you say, the the mystery of it is the thing that keeps everybody going. And I I think the world would be a different place with with actual disclosure, because people who've been chasing this for so long would they believe it now? Like Ash said, they've been telling us the false information now they're telling us the truth are they telling us the truth and that goes that's a very good point ash why should I believe any government official they lie about anything anyway they talk about the fact that they didn't have a party during lockdown in the UK then the phone comes out to say actually you did have a party during lockdown and they go oh yeah actually we did and then and that's just like just petty stuff that they will lie about to to save themselves what are they prepared to do to keep face in the UFO disclosure, for want of a better phrase? And it, it's scary. And they, they're they prepared to... People get suicided quite easily when they get too close to the truth. Um, you've seen it in the Apollo missions. The guys were saying, that how can we get to the moon when we can't even get off the launch pad? And then, oops, they die in a car accident. Just or their, their module goes up in flames on the, the launch pad, They're just like, oh, it goes back to coincidences. Right. Is anything a coincidence or is it the narrative that they control? Because they do say the first casualty is war, of war is information and it's yeah. true. If you control the information, you control the world because you can control what, and that's very conspiratorial, I know that, but that's how governments, Have worked for decades, so will we ever get disclosure? That's my question. Roundabout.
0: No, well, you you bring up a lot of good points too. Sorry, we we live (laughs) no, we we live in an information war. Uh, you know, we have a ground war. We have ground wars going on all over the world right now. Um, obviously, Ukraine Russia is the focal point right now Mm -hmm. uh, because you do have a superpower with nuclear technology involved, which is obviously terrifying. Um. But we live in an age where wars are being fought uh, digitally uh, with information, with security. Uh, so you do have to keep that in mind when it comes to the UFO topic uh, in this word disclosure. You know, maybe 15 years ago, I'd be the guy who would want to like go to the White House and, you know, demand answers and everything. Now I'm just like, I don't give a flipping F what the government has to say about this topic because I've interviewed hundreds of people about their personal UFO sightings. And those are the people I want to hear from. I don't care what Luis Elizondo has to say. I don't care what Christopher Mellon has to say. I respect what they have to say and I really enjoyed their insights and they probably do mo- know a lot more than a lot of us do. But again, They'd be the first two to tell you, don't believe me. Don't just trust everything I say. Do your own research and go talk to people about their own personal encounters with these things. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that we're ever going to get this grand disclosure of the UFO reality. If we have, we've already got it. I mean, again, for the the U.S., with, for all their faults, they have a lot of influence in the world, and for them to finally come forward and say UFOs exist is—that's disclosure. Uh, there's a million questions after that: What are they? Where do they come from? All these existential questions we'll wrestle with forever. But uh, I do think it's a big step, and um, and like Ash mentioned, uh, governments are like that. That. Relation, toxic relationship you have where the person lies and lies and lies and then says, all right, I'm done lying. I'm going to finally tell you the truth. Like, come on, guys. Come on. So I don't think we should ever uh, wait for the government to tell us the truth. Whatever these phenomena are will let us know on its, their own timetable. And uh, that's truly where I think disclosure is going to happen. And I think it's happening one person at a time, you know? For me, I had my disclosure when I was 12 years old. For, for Ash, it's when he saw his triangle. For for anyone who's had a paranormal experience, same for them. Uh, that's a whole other rabbit hole we could go down, the interconnectedness of all this stuff too. I know that's probably for another day. but uh,
1: We go yeah. down that route a lot. <laughs>
0: we we could have. Especially
1: uh, when we speak to people about their yeah. UFO experiences, there's always polgeist activity involved early on in life or, or afterwards so it's definitely a subject that we've we've definitely covered off many times on the podcast mm-hmm. so yeah and it it's is there. another conversation yeah absolutely you only need to look at Skinwalker ranch and the hitchhiker right. effect and all that kind of stuff that's coming off the back of it to, and incidentally we went we went around the different ranches that have had issues for one of fair phrase and a lot of those are near water as well on the ash mm.
0: there you go again mm. something to it something yeah. to it 100 percent. okay so bringing it
2: a bit closer to home you're now in the uk so have you found yourself sort of looking at more uk-centric cases since you've been been over here
0: yeah absolutely you know um i think it was right as i was moving is when the calvine ufo case came back into the forefront and we finally got the photo That everyone's this mythical photo that had been supposedly in storage for like 30 plus years um, finally made it out, which was amazing. It was so cool to see, um, excuse me, like finally, like there's something to this case. Uh, So I'm looking a lot into that. I plan on going to the location where the photo was taken uh, with Graham Rendell, a mutual colleague at UAP Media UK. Uh, We're going to go out there. And try to recreate uh, the photo and, and find the location and triangulate it and see, you know, is what they're saying actually what happened? Uh, you know, obviously, we'll we'll never be able to prove it or not. But um, that's what I'm excited about, having moved here, is to finally get out and uh, do some actual boots on the ground investigations. And I have a lot of those guys to thank. Andy... Andy McGrillen, Graham, Dan Zetterstrom, really kind of putting the fire under my feet and be like, you're here now, dude. Like, you're in it. Like, let's go do this. And um, I really want to take advantage of that. So I have been doing a lot of heavy research. You can't really see, but my bookshelf behind me is mostly uh, books I've bought in the past two months of living here about UFO sightings in the UK. Uh, So I'm really digging deep into those and being like, holy shit, like I live like 10 miles from here. I, I got to go look at this. Um, and I even, you know, I'm on the Edinburgh subreddit right now. And I I finally, I pulled the cord and I put a post up and I'm like, all right, Edinburgh, who's seen a UFO here? I want to talk to you. And I got like 30 responses. It was wow. amazing. So I'm excited. It, it's like untapped territory for an ignorant american like myself to come here and i mean look at how old <laughs> it, you know the uk is uh of course there's going to be a rich history of phenomena happening here much more than in the united states or other younger countries so um ah uh, it's been amazing i i feel like i'm living in my own ufology 2.0 right now
2: i mean that's the good thing about the uk is like you can within a couple of hours you can sort of be any. Sort of famous case location because we're not that big of a country right. compared to like obviously the USA. So, like, I like, 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 especially in Scotland, there's some big, famous cases, right? Just like near Edinburgh, there's probably five, six, seven cases that are pretty famous. Like, you can just half an hour you're there on in the location. It's it's amazing. And obviously, down in England and Wales, you've got obviously Broadhaven School, yep. You've got the uh, the Burman mountains incident in North Wales, that's only like a matter of hours away for, for traveling. So it's just really is good. And I'm going to mention you sort of joined a team at UAP media UK, which is our top guys. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with working together. So that's going to be. Uh, yeah. Awesome. We're,
0: uh, we're cooking up some stuff right now. I won't say too much, but um, we got some, some plans uh, working with some other people here in the UK on um, some investigations. And uh, why they allowed me into their group is beyond me. But I look forward to contributing any way I can, for sure.
1: Awesome.
2: awesome. And like I say about the age of some place, like we do an episode on a Saturday, which is where we look at the minute, we're looking at haunted pubs. Oh, and, we're cool. sort of, and we're sort of traveling from the very top of UK, traveling down. So we're in Scotland at the minute. And like I think yesterday's episode we recorded this weekend. Like all the pubs were like four hundred years old, right? <laughs> like every single one of them is like sixteen hundreds and seventeen hundreds. It's like, what? Like, and they're still pubs now. Like they're pubs four hundred years ago and they're still pubs today. It's just like
0: it's crazy, crazy, crazy well, history, you know. And I try to keep that perspective because I remember when Daniel Radcliffe was doing a Broadway play in New York, um, and I bartended on Broadway for ten years or so, and I worked a show that he was. He was in and I remember he was being interviewed one time there and they're taking him on a tour of like, uh, you know, the Central Park area of New York City. And they are pointing out these buildings to him and they're like, that building is over 100 years old, if you can believe it. And Daniel Radcliffe being from the UK is like politely nodding and being like, wow, that's amazing. My house, my flat in the UK is 400 years old or something like that. So I try to keep that in mind, too, living here It's incredible. Um, I live, like, I want to say 20 minutes from the Tollbooth Tavern here in Edinburgh, which is one of the most historically haunted pubs, I think, here. So um, I haven't gotten in there yet. I'm a little scared, to be honest. But uh, some of these places I've been already, I I just get a weird feeling when I walk in there. And I know it's because of how old they are and the history there. So... um, World's End is another one here that I heard is very haunted. So uh, I'm going to have to get you guys here to help me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, have some liquid courage.
2: It's <laughs> not <laughs> <laughs> like some of the castles. I like, Edinburgh Castle, They're like, 1,000 years old. Like <sighs> You stand in them. So I'm I'm a castle geek, and I've been to Lowes and Wells and Scotland Particularly, just have hundreds of castles. Yeah. And a lot of them are still upstanding and stuff. And you stand in a room, and you read the information. It's like this room is 1,200 years old. It's like, so people were stood here where I am in this castle, doing whatever they were doing, like over a thousand years ago. It's just, it's hard to even like yeah, comprehend you, that. It's
0: mad. You can't wrap your mind around it. And then no wonder there's so much energy collected in these places. Uh, whatever you think the paranormal or the supernatural is, uh, there's really no denying that history itself. um, just kind of becomes the haunting, I think, Mm. you know, that's what I I love about the whole topic of ghosts and and hauntings is it might not even be, you know, the manifestation of a spirit, but it's a memory and memories live on and they can take on different forms. Uh, So that's what I've always loved about ghosts. And um, I love going on like haunted tours and stuff. And it's not even like the ghost stories I enjoy. I just like hearing the historical aspect to a lot of this. Um, and you could tell the people giving these tours have done their homework. And uh, I feel like it's the coolest way to get the history of a place is to go to some of these, uh, these like Definitely. ghost tours or haunted pub crawls too. So <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So you mentioned Top of the Show about a new book.
2: You're yes. You to tell us what, what that's about?
0: Sure. Uh, so for... Um, for any of your listeners who don't know, I run a show uh, called Somewhere in the Skies, and we have a special series called Witness Accounts, which was kind of a continuation of uh, my original book where I went out and interviewed people about their UFO sightings. I decided, why not continue that in podcast form? So I started having people submit their UFO stories, um, you know, just unadulterated. I don't interview them. I don't get involved. I just have them send me a recording of them telling their UFO stories, however they want, however long or short they want. And all I ask of them is give us kind of an idea of what happened and how it made you feel and what, what you took from it. And it's amazing. It's grown. It's I'm, I think I'm 23 volumes in now. Every Witness account episode has like five or six stories. And every time one comes out, I will then get 10 emails being like, that was cool. I want to tell my story now, so it it feeds itself and it bec- it's become its own thing. Um, so with over twenty three volumes of it, it finally dawned on me. I'm like, this is a book. <laughs> like this this is I I can actually like get this out to more people in in book form. So um, for about the past year and a half, I've been working on curating a book version of witness accounts, uh, where I literally. And kind of just transcribing the stories of these individuals, light editing, obviously, for like clarity and stuff like that. Um, but it's it's amazing. I, I've had so many of them be like, yes, please, please. Like, I, I would love for my story to get out there even more. And, uh, and that's where I'm at. I, I'm almost done. Uh, hopefully it'll be out this spring. But not only is it cases from the podcast, I have brand new cases that I'm going to be putting in there as well. Some that have never been heard before. Uh, Some from uh, military people who had sightings on base while they were in service Who are going to be telling their stories. Uh, So yeah, it's shaping up to be another, I hope, unique contribution I can make to the field, giving it that human touch. And it being in the own words of these people, not me interpreting their stories literally putting in book form their own words in their own voice so yeah hopefully that'll be out this April
2: awesome so one sort of final question for me is and I think the answer to this has probably come across in the way you approach the topic but what drives you what gives you your passion for this topic
0: Guinness (laughs) no no (laughs) um Guinness helps but um Honestly, uh, it's conversations like this, you know, we, we talked a lot tonight about like, if you had the answers, what would it do? And I don't think if I got those answers, I would be satisfied no matter what. It's either going to be something too scary. It's going to be something too boring, or it's literally going to be something I can't comprehend. So I love just living in that mystery, living in that journey, having these conversations, going to conferences, meeting people I've met some of my best friends now and colleagues through this topic and I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, so honestly it's those conversations that drive me and it's it's having people reach out to me after hearing the podcast or reading the book and being like I want to tell my story or you know your your show got me through a rough time like nobody believed me when I told them I saw something. And then I played them one episode of your show or they read the New York Times article and, and they finally were like, wow, you were telling me the truth and that alone is enough for some people. So um, yeah, getting kind of emotional when, when when people reach out to me and literally say like you, you, you made an impact in my life. um, That's something I don't think about when I'm making the show every week, like you guys do. Uh, so when people actually do reach out to you and say like, this means something, what you're doing, it means something, uh, that's enough to keep me driven and to keep going. So yeah. Yeah. Tell me your stories. Everyone listening right now, reach out to me with your UFO stories. That is the, uh, the petrol that keeps me going.
1: And on that note, where can people reach out and connect with you?
0: Oh, thank you, Greg. Um, I can be reached on all social media. Just type in Ryan Sprague. I should pop up. Um, and then the podcast is wherever you get pursuit of the paranormal. Um, Apple, Spotify, all the usual places. Uh website is somewhereintheskies.com. And uh, yeah, it's about it. New new season of Ancient Aliens should be starting up pretty soon. Um myself and a few, I won't give away who, but a few you fo people in the uk might be featured in the upcoming season as well so be on the lookout for a new season of ancient aliens as well awesome well
2: thank you very much ryan for joining us for our second birthday special Amazing. i not i'm on my third wkd now so <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm, I'm quite a lightweight so i might same here man I, I i was telling you off air. you know maybe 10 years ago i could do <laughs> I could do a whole six-pack of Guinness, but right now I'm flying high. I'm, I'm ready to get in the UFO myself. So, <laughs> no, very happy birthday to you guys. Again, it's thank no you. small feat. I commend you, and uh, keep it going. Appreciate your time.
2: Thank you. And to all the listeners, thank you for sticking with us for two years. We're still blowing away. Putting up tonight.
1: with us, I think. It's actually putting up with us, not sticking with us, putting up with
2: us. True. True. <laughs> when we look at the number of downloads and figures, just like, I don't know, I still can't
1: believe it, like,
2: two years on. It's it's great. That's what gives us the drive as well, me see. Yeah. There's people actually listening to this shit, like... Let's <laughs> <No. that's, that's, laughs> keep doing it.
1: Pursuit of the Paranormal with Ash
0: and Greg.